welcome to episode number 200 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman. CXO Talk brings the most innovative, interesting business executives in the world for in-depth conversation where we talk about innovation, we talk about disruption, and we talk about leadership. And on episode number 200, I'm so thrilled because today we're talking with Sahal Lahur, who is the executive vice president and chief information officer of one of the most iconic and longstanding brands in American retailing and American fashion, which is Brooks Brothers. Sahal Lahur, how are you? And thanks for taking the time and joining us. Good afternoon, Mike. Good. Thank you. Doing very well. Sahal, uh, Brooks Brothers was founded in 1818. And I know we, we all know the name of the brand, but, but please give us a little background and history of Brooks Brothers. And then during our conversation, we'll, we'll take it up to the present. Absolutely, absolutely. So really excited to be on the show and uh, share a little bit about our journey. So we are a 198 year old brand and have outfitted you know, 39 of the U.S. presidents. And as we continue to evolve, we are really moving more towards a lifestyle brand, which appeals to not just people looking for the traditional formal attire, but also, uh, you know, a recent partnership with uh, Zach Posen, who was signed as a designer for our women's collection. And, you know, really... A lot of things that we've done with our Red Fleece brand, which appeals to, you know, some of our younger demographic. So, you know, I think our company and our owners have done a very good job of keeping the brand evolving and trying to remain um, relevant and remain a true lifestyle brand as we are in this era of just mass change, um, competition, and you know, the change is on many levels. It's not just the consumers themselves and their expectations changing, but uh, the entire market and the way people shop has changed. And therefore, you know, a lot of the way that uh, we go to market is is changing. And, you know, obviously digital and technology are, are very big enablers in that journey. That's amazing to think that you have been around for almost 200 years and you've outfitted 39 presidents. And I think it's pretty obvious that a company that's been in business for so many years has gone, has had to have gone through many different types of changes and reinventions and, and evolutions. And so you, you were talking about change in the market, change in customers. What are the Maybe can you can you elaborate on the market forces, the competitive landscape, the the nature of changing customer expectations, and so what are, what is driving the evolution of Brooks Brothers today? Absolutely, absolutely. So our business has always been kind of founded on personal relationships, and really the white glove service that works with our customers to really uniquely understand you as an individual and your preferences and based on that really curate a look for you 
that is, you know, a hundred percent you, it's not a one size fits all, or it's not one of five different looks we have on the shelf, but it's really, you know, very unique. And it's, it really is something that we take great pride in, in working with everyone and their unique preferences. I think the, the changes that we're seeing obviously are, you know, people shop now in different ways than they used to. They obviously are a lot more the customer in general, not just in fashion, but really in every industry with the, with the web is a lot more informed. And generally what you find is that uh, the people come in now with a much better understanding of what it is that they want. They have a much better understanding of the competitive landscape of where you are in the industry and some of the things that differentiate you. They are also a lot more, you know, aware of, you know, the brands and brand loyalty and that, uh, you know, to some extent brand loyalty though is not really what it used to be. So, you know, our, our chairman and CEO, Claudio Del Vecchio always says, you know, we're not old. Um, we're not just good because we're old. We're old because we're good. And I think the, that's a, you know, a, a very articulate way of putting it because, you know, we, we really do continue to look at what is it that our customers want? What is it that the market wants? Obviously, online shopping um, and mobile shopping and, you know, digital in general has really disrupted the market. And now you have a number of pure play online retailers that uh, are in this space as well. But, you know, I think for the space that we're in, there's always going to be a home for the brick and mortar stores because of this level of service that we provide and, you know, the white glove nature of, of how we work with our consumers. The reality is that even if you were to buy, you know, things online, other than probably ties and shirts and, and you know, maybe pants, a lot of the other things are going to require some kind of tailoring or alterations anyway, uh, if you're looking for something that is, again, unique and, and really is a look that is not, you know, something that, uh, you know, yeah, you know, everyone has different things that they look for, but also, you know, for example, one of my arms is half an inch uh, shorter than the other. And so, you know, yeah, you can take an off the rack item and not alter it, but, uh, you know, it's really, if you want to go that extra 10% and, and really have a, a great look instead of a good look, then, you know, there's an element of, uh, of tailoring that needs to take place. So, so those elements, I think, continue to be extremely important and will continue to be important. And, you know, the, the store again for us is, is a very important part of our brand. We have uh, over 600 stores globally. And, you know, there are, there are no plans to, you know, to drastically change that number, either up nor down. We feel like we have a good mix of, uh, of you know, direct-to-consumer online versus the traditional retail stores and also the, you know, the Brooks Brothers factory stores. So, you know, overall, I think it's the key, the key message for, for all retailers, but really also in specifically to fashion, is that uh, 
you know, I think it's it's unrealistic to punt on one of your channels um, just because the market is shifting. So it sounds like the uh, like customer service and that uh, the white glove service, as as you described it, has been the centerpiece, a centerpiece of Brooks Brothers' approach for for two hundred years. And now what you're doing, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like what you're doing is translating that into a multi-channel or multiple or omni-channel approach. That's exactly right. And I think uh, that that manifests itself in, in many different ways. So first and foremost, it requires that we have a consistent customer experience across channels. And that doesn't apply just to personalization, but it really in general, where every company now needs to break down the silos between channels, because, you know, I think traditionally retailers have thought in channels and they've been organized in channels and had, had separate uh, business units for, for online versus brick and mortar versus factory. And, you know, what's, what is very evident is that, uh, you know, the customer doesn't see it that way. The customer doesn't think in channels. They think of it as Brooks Brothers. And so it's critical that, uh, you know, we have the same products available on all of our channels. We have the same level of personalization available on all channels. And, you know, most importantly, I think people are really looking at, uh, you know, retailers and companies that are easy to do business with. It has to be simple. It has to be intuitive. You know, you, you can't have a you know, very complex navigation on your website. You can't have uh, extremely long and tedious checkout process because, you know, we've, we've all been to those websites and, uh, you know, and, and lost, you know, lost motivation to complete the checkout. Um, and, you know, I think Amazon really has set the tone, not just in terms of usability, but also in terms of fulfillment. And so that is the new norm in terms of customer expectations it's you know they, there was a period in time where you could uh, where you could ask for a ten or twenty dollar shipping charge and and people didn't mind that. There was a time where you could say you'll get your product in seven to ten days and people didn't mind that. But I think uh, that's that's really changed and that's gone away now. And everyone expects the the ease of use and, and, you know, in some cases, you know, you do want the instant gratification and, you know, I'm as an Amazon prime member, you know, quite frequently just opting for the next day um, shipping option. And, you know, obviously Amazon is working on same day shipping and, but the reality is that next day shipping is probably going to become the norm. And, you know, for, for all of these, online brands, whether you're a, you know, 198 year old brand or you're a, and, you know, an eight month old brand, if you aren't, you know, if it's not simple and you're not easy to do business with, and you can't, you don't have a supply chain that can fulfill in a, in a fashion that is going to give people the the product they want when they want it, then uh, you're really going to be at a big disadvantage and people are really going to go to another site where it's easier to do business. We have a, an interesting question from, excuse me, <clears throat> from Alan Berkson on Twitter, who's wondering, 
in a business where there is so much service and customization, how do you keep, how do you maintain that customer experience, especially going across multiple channels? And then he's asking about the role of culture in this as well. So those are both great questions. So let's let's talk first about, um, you know, that just how we do that and how that level of, you know, personalization and, uh, you know, kind of white glove service is is replicated across channels in a seamless way. So, you know, just to give a little bit of background, right, I think there was a period of time where everyone used to go to their, their you know, their store on Main Street in their town, and they had relationships with the Brooks Brothers Associate, and they had probably been going there for many years, and, and you know, everything, all your preferences were written down in a black book, and that sales associate that you worked with really knew what it is that uh, you want for a look. They knew everything that you had purchased in the past, and all of that was kind of maintained in that black book. And that's a, that's a great model, obviously, to, because you get a very high level of service and you have someone that has a personal relationship with you. But the reality of the world we live in now is that uh, it's just not like it used to be in that, you know, now we travel more. It's, uh, we may want to go to the store, not in our hometown, but where we work, or we might be on business um, at a conference and we might want to go to a store. And so, you know, what we've really been working very hard on for the last uh, couple of years is trying to figure out, you know, so if John Smith comes into a store and he's never been into that store before, but he's been a customer for 10 years, we are missing the mark if we don't give him personalized service based on the information we already know about him. And so the store associate at that store in Las Vegas, where you are for a conference, in a very short period of time needs to have, needs to be equipped with tools that can really tell them who is John Smith and what are his preferences, what are his likes, um, and what is in his virtual wardrobe in terms of his purchase history. And really based on that, we can then, you know, equip that associate who has just met you two minutes ago to still provide a very high level of service because they will have, you know, we will have turned data that we have into actual actionable insights that you, the store associate, can use to really have a more personalized conversation as opposed to, you know, talking to everyone who walks into the store that you don't know about the same five products in the, in the fall collection. So that's a, that's a very important piece of who we are. And, you know, obviously replicating that is, you know, requires a lot of, you know, translating, translation of the, this data into insights. And, you know, everyone talks about big data. Everyone talks about these buzzwords of, you know, big data and machine learning and so on. But, uh, you know, this is really a, a case study where it is the differentiator. And, you know, really in all industries, I think, uh, can be a differentiator, not just for personalization, but for many different parts of your supply chain and the way that you go to market. If you, if you use the data that you have and, you know, implement, you know, machine learning type of platforms, which, you know, in a, in its simplest form for those who are not familiar with machine learning, it's, uh, you know, computers have the ability now with these platforms 
to, to learn from data and to spot trends in data without being explicitly programmed. And that's a very powerful trend in the market right now. And, and really without that in the past, you would have to find a specific use case that you were after and comb through all of your data, uh, aggregate it and, and come up with these, these findings. And you know, the way that the machine learning works is we can, we can do that on the fly and we can do that for you know, terabytes and terabytes of data which in the old days, obviously, is just not possible, right? Even if we took everyone's black book, every single store associate's black book from the old um, days where they had the customer service and, and all of that done in, in paper books, you know, that's, that's already a lot of data. And now you multiply it by, you know, everything like your, your online click stream, right? So every time you go online and you're navigating the website, there's, you know, there's a trail of, you know, of breadcrumbs that every customer leaves behind in terms of what have they browsed, what have they put in their cart and not bought, you know, what, what have they, how much time have they spent looking at a particular item. And so all of this information, when you aggregate it together and, and you have a, a true big data strategy that utilizes, you know, some, some of these next generation tools like machine learning and in-memory databases, then we have the ability to, to really replicate that service. And now you can also make that available online and we can make, uh, you know, more thoughtful recommendations on, for you online um, as opposed to, you know, the showing everyone the, the same five products that, uh, that have just come out as things that they might be interested in. And, you know, the research shows, right, that... Uh, Amazon has done a very good job with this. Netflix has done a very good job with this. And, you know, there is an extremely high number of, um, I think the, the number in the McKinsey study was over, over 60 or 65% where things that you buy on Amazon or shows that you watch on Netflix are based directly on the recommendation that was given to you by the site. So that's a that's a fascinating number and has huge potential. Um, you know, when you move past personalization and get into you know just in terms of the challenging market that retail is now, you know that's an extremely critical piece um, because if you have again a personalized way to offer these you know cross sell and upsell products, that is obviously going to be a win win because it's going to be things that the customer really sees as um, being perfect things to augment their existing wardrobe. And obviously from the retailer's standpoint, it's going to result in, in additional, you know, revenue. That's pretty incredible. So you have adopted machine learning in order to improve the recommendations that you're, that, that you provide online. And I'm assuming that your sales associates can provide based on purchase history, frequency of, interaction, I'm assuming, in the stores. Uh, tell, can you tell us just briefly about the tools? Is, did you develop the tools in-house? Did you, did you buy them? Talk about the technology. So this is, this is still a, an initiative that is you know, ongoing because, you know, as you know, this is, a, this is a very big undertaking, right? It, it's not something that you can you know, spend a, 
a short period of time or your traditional, you know, project cycle of, of nine to 12 months and say we're done, right? This is really truly a, a dynamic thing that has to become part of your DNA as a, as a retailer and as a company. So, you know, if we just take a, if we take a step back and I'll provide a little bit of context, um, you know, when, when Pandora started, right, they, they took uh, a, a subset of the collection of songs and they took, let's say, I don't know, it was like nine or 10,000 songs and they paid professional musicians to come in and listen to all of these songs. And then they had, you know, developed this Excel spreadsheet with multiple attributes. Um, so it had literally, you know, dozens of attributes, over over a hundred total attributes for every single song based on, you know, you know, I'm not a musician and not even qualified to speak to them, but, you know, it's obviously way deeper than just what is the genre of the song or um, who is the artist, et cetera. But it really got into, you know, what is the, you know, what is the tempo? What are the instruments in the song? So, so anyway, so they had all of those attributes and that was really, you know, that project was called the Music Genome Project where, you know, they took their products and, you know, obviously you always have attributes for any product in any industry, right? So in the case of music, they, they knew who the artist was, they knew the length of the, you know, the track, um, but they really didn't have a lot of meaningful attributes that a consumer could relate to. And that is really what was needed for personalization. So after they went through this initial process and the musicians had kind of populated these, you know, this entire database of, of attributes across nine or 10,000 songs, then they ran it through this, this tool and said, okay, let's see how it works. Um, tell me a song you like and let's uh, see what the engine recommends to you. And they found that, uh, you know, it was, you know, nine or 10,000 songs sounds like a lot, but it's really not a lot. It's a very small sample size, obviously, but, you know, they were very encouraged by the early results. And then that's where they said, okay, we have to do this for every single song. And, and that was really the birth of, you know, kind of Pandora and, and the way that it, you know, the, the premise of all of these platforms, right, is that the more you use it and the more it gets to know you, the more accurate are the recommendations, so similarly, what we're, what we're in the process of doing is, uh, is, you know, we've had, you know, hundreds of attributes for all of our products in our PLM system, our product lifecycle management system. And, you know, that's a tool that we implemented about uh, three and a half years ago. It, it's, uh, it's from Vendor PTC, which is a Boston-based company and very, you know, well-known in the PLM space for apparel and fashion. And, you know, what we, what we looked at is that, you know, yes, we've had these attributes in there. We've had these attributes that system went live and probably even prior to that. Mm -hmm. But how many of those attributes are truly customer facing attributes or ones that would be meaningful to make a recommendation? And, you know, the reality was that there weren't many, right? There was color. There was obviously, you know, the name of the product and there was a handful of other things, but there wasn't, you know, if we want to get to the next level of sophistication, either online or in store, but, you know, it, it has to be as sophisticated as being able to ask, I need a suit for a Cape Cod wedding and getting a recommendation. Most 
you know, search engines or most sites, you know, if you entered that, you would get a few sites, you would get a few hits for Cape Cod, you would get a few hits for wedding, you would get a few hits for suit. And they wouldn't necessarily all be, you know, interrelated to the point where you would have a recommendation or recommendations for a suit you could wear at a Cape Cod wedding. So that's just one, you know, fairly rudimentary example. But the you know, the bottom line is that there's a lot of work to do, similar to what Pandora went through. There's work for, for us to do to really, you know, populate those attributes um, for our, you know, entire collection eventually. But, you know, obviously you have to start with a subset of the collection. We have a large assortment, over 50,000 SKUs. So this is not going to be something we can do overnight. The, uh... We start with the basics and and populate those attributes, then you have a very good foundation to to come up with this with these recommendations. Now, can you talk about the relationship between uh, service, engagement, customer experience, this machine learning project? Because it's all part of a a broader perspective, Absolutely. so to speak, that you have. So, you know, I think, again, customers don't think in channels, right? And so regardless of what channel they're interacting with you on, they expect that you know, so if I went onto the website and made a purchase, and then I come into a store two weeks later, and you don't have any information on my order, or you don't have any information on the fact that that's even in my wardrobe, then you're missing the mark. So, you know, ultimately, you know, everyone... There's, a, there's another big buzzword of three, 360 view of the customer, which, you know, really applies both ways. And what I mean by that is that it's equally important for the company to have that, but the customers expect you to have that as well. Because if, again, if I came, if I come into a store today and I placed an order last night and you can't tell me, you know, my order status or you, you know, if I come into the store and see something else and you can help me, you know, change that order based on something else that I found in the store, um, you know, those, that then is a disjointed customer, you know, in, engagement process and a customer service experience. So what we've really, you know, one of the first things that we did a couple of years ago was, you know, really work on creating this 360 view, degree view of the customer, which you know, sounds, you know, fairly obvious and it sounds fairly intuitive, but, you know, the reality is that uh, very few people have that all in one place because over time, it doesn't matter how long you've been in business. You know, obviously the longer you've been in business, you're likely to have more silos of data, but even if you haven't been in business for, you know, decades and you've only been in business a few years, you know, nobody has just one, sales system, right? You always, at a very minimum, have a point of sale system, and then you have a, a website. And then you need some kind of system for your customer service. You may need some kind of system for your store associate, be it clienteling or, you know, looking at alterations or made to measure or, or whatever that, whatever the case may be. So, you know, what we tried to do is all of those systems that I named were one or more different databases, when we started. And what we've worked to do is really bring all of this into a single database. And that single database now has John Smith's customer record. It has all of his preferences. 
It has his e-commerce transactions. It has his in-store purchases. It has his alterations and made-to-measure information. And it also has any interaction that he's had with our call center is all logged in one central place. So what that allows us to do is obviously elevate the level of service that we can provide. Because, you know, regardless, again, of what channel you're is your preference to interact with us on any given day, we will be able to have a consistent view of who you are as a customer. And therefore we'll be able to better service whatever needs you have um, on that particular day. And they won't be, you know, these handoffs or let me transfer you to the store that you placed the order at. Let me transfer you to the call center or the, you know, e-commerce fulfillment team to look at where your order is in the fulfillment process. It really needs to be, again, simple, right? If it's not simple and intuitive, people are going to, you know, get frustrated and and go elsewhere. So that is really, I think, uh, in a nutshell, you know, the 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 driving forces behind why that 360 degree view of the customer is important. And you know, again, it's it, it's really now something that. Uh, is a big enabler for us because our call center has tools that they never had before. And it it allows them to really provide a level of service to the customer that uh, is unmatched from where we started when they had to alt tab to multiple screens and, and transfer people to, to different associates and to different stores. So the right type of technology combined with keeping it simple and intuitive makes life easier for the customer and also makes life easier, makes it easier for people inside the stores or inside the call centers to respond quickly and in a more appropriate, detailed, customized manner. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have another question from Twitter, and this is from Arsalan Khan, who's wondering, as as the technologies change and as the environment around you, the customer environment, the competitive environment is changing, how do you, how do you plan? How do you, how do you go forward and consider this ongoing change in your, in your business strategy? So that's, that's a great question. And I'm glad that it was asked because, you know, one of the things we really haven't touched on so far is the need for a a strong, what I call digital core, right? So, you know, in the 90s, there were there were ERP projects, and uh, you know, then you know people moved on to you know CRM projects, and um, you know, you name it. There's been multiple waves of kind of software solutions that uh, that have been the the hot trend that customers and, and companies have gone after. But the reality of it is that um, you know, very few people still to this day have that strong digital core. And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, whenever people think about digital and they think about innovation, they automatically jump to, well, okay, how are we going to, you know, how do we come up with the the sexy new technology that's customer facing? And, you know, what can we implement from, uh, you know, in terms of beacons or RFID or IoT um, that is cool and and sophisticated and and elevates our customer experience. And all of those are great questions to ask. And again, things that everyone has to continue to do because I think the 
biggest lesson learned for, you know, for retailers in the last uh, few years is, you know, if you don't innovate and advance yourself as a company, then you can become irrelevant, right? I mean, we've seen numerous uh, stories here where, you know, you name it, Blockbuster Video um, felt that uh, they had such a good customer base and such a good um, value proposition that they were invincible and didn't need to change. And they didn't really buy into this streaming online um, praise that hit and, and you know, that, that was, you know, unfortunately their downfall. So, you know, I think the, the digital core, so coming back to that, that, what that really entails is, do you have a strong supply chain that can allow you to fulfill orders anytime, anywhere? That's, that's really the bottom line, right? Our customers want their stuff. They don't care where it's being shipped from. They don't care how it's being shipped. As long as you can honor your commitment to get that particular merchandise to the customer on the day and you know date that it's promised, then that's you've, you're meeting the customer expectations. So that's uh, obviously very difficult. And when we talk about omni-channel, right? Um, we talked about 360 degree of the customer, but another extremely important piece that we touched on very briefly was the silos on across channels coming down. And as those silos come down, you know, this, this digital core becomes more and more important because in the old days, it was fine for you to have a website and the website only having inventory to your e-com warehouse, you know, merchandise. But now you really need to make sure that you have, you know, it's, it's almost another 360 degree view. It's a 360 degree view of, of product and inventory and looking at that across all of your channels and the ability to, you know, if come into a store, we don't have the right size, style and color of your shirt, which, you know, even, even in our larger stores is very challenging because again, I mentioned we have a very large assortment, 50,000 SKUs. So it's going to be physically impossible to, to, keep in stock every single size, style, color, you know, variation for everyone. So, you know, there's obviously tools that allow you to, you know, to allocate product and, and to come up with these assortments. Um, but there's always going to be times where someone comes in and we don't have that product. And, and how do we get you that product? Um, we can, we have 50 of those units in the, in the warehouse that are available for e-com orders but it's a shame if, if that inventory is not available to, to in the store or vice versa. So, you know, that digital core is, so this is a very, you know, kind of a long-winded response to the question, but uh, it's very important context, I, you know, I think that needs to be provided because if you don't have that supply chain that's dynamic and nimble and you as a company are unable to, to really you know, react truly dynamically and real time to customer demand, then you've missed the mark. So, you know, there's there's a back end piece here that's not sexy. No one, you know, customer again doesn't care about what you run for a supply chain package. They don't care about what your digital core is. What they do care is that you have a good one. And if if you don't have a good one, then you're not going to be able to meet those those customer requirements. So I think the you know, the, the key message here is you need the strong digital core and then you need to augment it with, you know, sophisticated 
and specialized technologies that are sexy and customer facing, such as beacons and RFID and IoT devices that really enhance the customer engagement process. And, you know, really those are all possible um, only on top of that foundation. That's really interesting. So, so this view then of both the customers and your supply chain means that as you are developing that, that digital core, it transforms both your, your front-end processes, that the customer-facing processes, as well as deep into the back-end processes. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's a great point. We've invested a lot, um, and I think the the other thing I'll point out here, right, is that all of these are not just technology projects, right? We've, before we did an ounce of technology work, we've done significant process reengineering work to come up with things like a global view of inventory in a global trading company, where we can really, you know, leverage our inventory and flex it across markets um, in a way that is allows us to maximize, um, you know, the needs of the customer and, and meet those demands. And just one example that I'll give there is that, uh, you know, we're a global company, but, uh, you know, obviously we, the uh, huge part of our business is North America. So as a result, you know, we have two, two kinds of product. We have the basics product that's available year round, and that would be your, you know, white shirts, blue shirts, you know, gabardine pants, um, ties, etc. And then we have the seasonal product. And there's four seasons of that product that's that's released, um, obviously based on, and it and it follows the the season in in North America. So it's Northern Hemisphere seasons. Now, what that means, obviously, is that when our Australia market comes to look at the fall collection, it's you know it's not going to be fall in, in Australia for six more months, but they still need to, you know, make an educated guess in terms of how a certain product is going to do in their market and, and place a buy or, or place an order of, of that merchandise so that they can have it. So in the old days, you know, what would happen is that every market kind of, you know, put those requests in and they, they got those requests, but, uh, you know, a lot can change in six months. It, we may find that, uh, you know, Australia under-ordered, but, um, you know, Singapore over-ordered. And in the old days, there was no way for us to dynamically reallocate that inventory so that we could still, you know, maximize the the inventory on hand and, and still, you know, keep keep the sale and not lose those sales. So now we, we truly have that ability where we have a global view of inventory. We have a team called uh, GIM, Global Inventory Management Team. And they are, you know, really the gatekeepers of inventory and they have the ability to do this and to flex, you know, product across markets. And, you know, when, when the fall collection is done for North America, then we have the ability to hold that merchandise and, and fulfill demand in Australia four or five months from now if that is where we need it. So that that piece of it I think is uh is extremely important and I think it goes back to your you know to the original point that you made. Um and you know I think the other point that this is highlighting is that uh 
there is a big, this is not all about the technology, right? I mean, the technology is obviously a very critical enabler, but again, we've done, you know, many, many projects that are purely business process focused and organizational focused um, before we've, you know, launched some of these technology projects, because uh, the worst thing that we could do is just take, you know, hundred year old process and put it into a new technology tool, um, which is really not elevating our, our brand at all. So this is, I, I, first off, I want to remind everybody that we're talking with Sahal Lahir, who is the executive vice president and CIO of Brooks Brothers. And when he's talking about breaking down silos and changing all of these things, remember, keep in mind, Brooks Brothers was founded almost 200 years ago. And so it's, it's just amazing to me to hear about a 200-year-old company and the way that you are adapting and remaining nimble. But we have an a very interesting comment from Kirk Bourne, who is the principal data scientist at Booz Allen on Twitter. And Kirk, Kirk Bourne makes this comment. He says, quote, uh, cross-channel is a type of customer analytics, not a type of customer. That's a, that's a great point. And I think, um, you know, again, it comes back to, you know, just the role that analytics plays in today's world. And, and again, it's really, to me, across, it's cross industry, right? It's not just something for retailers or fashion companies. And so I think, um, you know, that's spot on where, you know, it's really mining that information. And, you know, let's, let's not limit ourselves to internal information only, right? It shouldn't just be about the systems that we have internally or the order management system or the e-com system. You know, nowadays there's, you know, there's a ton of information that's available um, that is on external data sources. You have social media. We have, um, you know, for a, for a nickel, you can buy, you know, 200 attributes of data on almost anyone in the U.S. in terms of their their buying patterns and purchase behaviors and so on. And that's already, you know, finding widespread use in, in other industries as well. And, you know, insurance companies are using that uh, to do things like lifestyle-based analytics and, and underwriting. So that's, uh, that, I think that that remark is spot on because, uh, you know, you really have to change your mindset as a company to, to see data as a very critical cross-channel uh, enabler and differentiator and you know instead of just you know traditionally people have just kind of hoarded data and like I said earlier it's it's you know I'm not being critical I mean everyone did it we did it as well because you, no one is staffed to have you know hundreds of people in the analytics department that can go do this and so it's only now that these tools are becoming available and we have the ability to you know be able to run hypothetical scenarios on terabytes and terabytes of data within minutes based on advances in things like in-memory databases and so on. And, um, you know, that, that in the old days was just not possible. So I think uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting time that we, we live in right now. And uh, we have great tools available to us. There's, you know, a year from now, if we have this conversation, there'll be additional tools that we can't even envision today that that will have have come out to to even elevate this uh, further. But, uh, you know, I think that that 
really is is highlighting the need for for companies to continue to innovate and you know any of these initiatives around customer service or customer experience or or omni-channel commerce and digital commerce they cannot be a one and done initiative where you say okay our mobile app is live we're done it's just the world is never going to be like that anymore um you're going to need to continue to have you know, your continuous improvement mindset as an organization, you're going to need to innovate and you and have, you know, be testing new technologies in in-house in an innovation lab or something like that and seeing which ones work for you and then adapting those to 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 your brand and, and rolling those out across your markets. Sahal Laher, CIO of Brooks Brothers, we have literally about one minute left. And maybe can you just can you share with us or give your advice to other companies who are undertaking various types of programs of change, which clearly Brooks Brothers is in a constant state of uh, reinvention and innovation. So what's your advice? How to, how to get that done and make it happen inside an established organization? Absolutely. So I think one of the guiding principles that we as a company have adopted is the crawl, walk, run approach, which is very important because some of these initiatives otherwise can be overwhelming, right? When you try and look at the big picture of everything that needs to be done and you try and take it all on together and boil the ocean, that's that's not a strategy for success. And you're going to end up with a lot of, you know, a lot of projects that are kind of disjointed and you ultimately will not be able to meet the, you know, the promise to your customers. So, you know, I, I would really encourage everyone to, to take that, you know, approach and to really prioritize and, you know, you know, look at very objectively where you are as a brand in relation to the market, in relation to the competition and, and figure out which, which of the capabilities you're lagging on that you want to invest more in, which are the ones that you, you know, are on parity with the rest of the market that you may want to leapfrog. And which of the ones are you leading on that you want to continue to be a leader in? And ultimately, that roadmap is really going to drive your success. And I think the other piece that I would mention again is we've touched on it a couple of times during this call, but uh, you know, be very careful to not get into the trap of making it all about the technology. So again, the technology, it can be a, a very strategic enabler. It can absolutely drive some of these initiatives from an execution standpoint. But, you know, don't shortchange the process component, the process reengineering component and the change management component of what that's going to mean to your associates and to your customer. Wow. You have given us a, a real education and a fascinating look inside one of the most well-known iconic brands in the United States. Thank you so much. Thank you. We have been talking on episode number 200 of CXO Talk with Sahal Lahar, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Brooks Brothers. What an amazing conversation. I can't wait to go back and listen to it again and just hear this wealth of knowledge about how, how a large and very old company has remained relevant and remained current in a changing and, and highly competitive environment. I'd like to thank everybody for watching CXO Talk, and I really want to give a shout out to Livestream 
who provides our video infrastructure and distribution because live stream, it just works, which is the best possible thing I can say. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. And we have two shows next week. So go to cxotalk.com slash episodes and uh, please join us again. Bye-bye.